With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mint. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hi, Millery Condon, 11 o'clock hour, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX and 0106.3 FM. Why, why do you think college football, the networks, declined to put out the kickoff for those first three games? Trying to would have caused an incredible amount of buzz. It would have been a buzz, certainly, but because of the uncertainty, I, I don't think... Subject to change wouldn't have made things... I, I just, I don't think it's plausible for them. It just, what's the point? You know it's... Well, from where we sit, Cyhawks at 7? Right. Cyhawks at 11? I mean, locally, just to know what time the game's uh, the biggest game in the state? I don't know. It just I thought it would have given But we don't us- know. I mean, certainly until the last week and a half, it felt like the Pac-12 wasn't going to play at all. And think of the games that are involved there, and, and what does that mean, and the trickle-down on everything else. I think that's the biggest reason they're still the great unknown. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds is standing at the podium. Here she is. Well, good morning. Uh, yesterday afternoon, we got some good news from President Trump. He announced that he will be extending the National Guard Title 32 orders through mid-August. I am really grateful to the President and his administration for recognizing the important role that the Guard is playing in states across the country. The Iowa National Guard has played a critical role in our state's response and recovery efforts, from distributing PPE across the state and supporting Iowa's food banks to operating test Iowa sites and helping us conduct contact tracing to help us understand the scope of virus activity and to do everything we can to manage and contain it. So I want to thank General Correll and the men and women of the Iowa National Guard for their service to Iowans during this time. You know, the impact of COVID-19 has been felt far and wide across the United States, including right here at home in Iowa. A record number of Iowans are unemployed, small businesses are struggling, and our agriculture industry is being challenged in ways that they could never have imagined. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, which was passed by Congress with overwhelming bipartisan support and signed into law by President Trump on March 27th, provides more than $2 trillion to protect the American people from the public health and economic impacts of COVID-19, while assisting workers and families, supporting small businesses, and helping us preserve jobs. Today, I'm going to provide an overview of how we intend to use the funding that's been allocated to our state through the CARES Act Relief Fund to help Iowa businesses and families, farmers and communities, and health care providers to help us improve technology, infrastructure, and ensure that we can continue to effectively manage COVID-19 over the long run. 
But first, I have asked Senator Ernst uh, to join me today and share the work that's occurring at our nation's capital to help Iowans and all Americans recover from this national crisis. Joni, it's good to see you, and I just want to say thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Governor, very much. It is wonderful to be here with you, and I truly do appreciate your leadership over the, of course, uh, over the, the time that you have been in the governor's office, but specifically the last three months um, when our state, state has really needed a level of compassion and optimism, and you have provided that. So thank you so much, Governor. Um, I, I appreciate everyone being on today's call as well, and what I would like to do is just recap where we are as a federal government government with the CARES Act. I'll go through some of the provisions and what Iowa has seen from those provisions and then where we can look to in the future, perhaps with an upcoming phase four um, package. So uh, a few of the interesting items that we'll take away from the CARES Act first. And uh, since we passed that, um, making sure that it was implemented correctly has been a big uh, focus of mine. And what we are seeing, especially in the area of small business relief through May 23rd Iowa businesses have received over 54,000 paycheck protection program loans worth over five billion dollars and again that is Iowa specific so we had a few other wins. Um, we did fight to ensure that our county hospitals, our rural electric cooperatives, and some of our nonprofit colleges uh, were able to receive those PPP loans. Um, they are now able to do that. And we do have some ongoing efforts, though, things that I would like to see uh, further modified or those included. So we're still working on securing access to PPP for many of our news outlets, especially those local-owned uh, media outlets, our local chambers of commerce. And we're working to provide flexibility for businesses who have been shut down but have not had enough time to rehire their workers. And I do hear this a lot from businesses, especially our hospitality industry, like our restaurants and our hotels. Um, the economic impact payments, those direct cash assistance payments that came to Iowans, we have nearly 1.5 million Iowans who have received those dollars, uh, totaling $2.7 billion. Again, that is Iowa specific. So through that, we were able to ensure that those that are on Social Security, SSI, and VA um, benefits who normally don't file their taxes, um, we were able to make sure they were getting those payments without submitting more paperwork to get their economic impact payment. And some ongoing efforts in that area, of course, now we are working to ensure that um, moms and dads of newborns, those that were born within this year, are able to get the $500 payments this year instead of waiting until next year. And we're also pushing for those with adult dependents, 
um, ensuring that they have access to the $500. And we're also working on support to our family caregivers as well. Um, within the ag community and biofuels, we've had a number of wins there as well. So we were able to bolster that uh, Commodity Credit Corporation, which um, we are focusing on getting those funds out right now. Applications for that uh, took place earlier this week and will be ongoing. And we made sure that the economic injury disaster loans were accessible for ag businesses and our farmers. Um, excuse me. We'll continue to fight, of course, for biofuel and ethanol interests. We do have a number of ongoing efforts there. I've partnered with Senator um, Chuck Grassley and Amy Klobuchar on some of those ethanol uh, interests that are very important to the Midwest. And then, of course, I'll, I'll wrap up um, with some of the wins. Healthcare, we've been able to secure over $336 million for Iowa hospitals and healthcare providers, as well as over $383 million for rural providers specifically, specifically, and over $11 million uh, for the state's community health centers. Um, I really appreciate our CHCs. They do fill a gap when we don't have rural providers um, uh, like our hospitals in those areas. Um, so future relief and what we can look forward to coming up, my priorities, uh, we need essential worker tax relief. And we see this across Iowa with so many of our, our men and women that are showing up to work every single day, doing the right thing to keep our, our healthcare centers working, our economy moving forward. And I'm proposing a suspension of federal income or payroll taxes for those essential workers during this pandemic. Childcare funding, another big push for mine even prior to COVID-19 was ensuring that we're closing up some of those childcare deserts. Um, so what we are asking for is an additional $25 billion in, uh, to support in a phase four package through a child care and development block grant. We've secured 32 million within the state of Iowa so far, but that's just a small portion compared to what we'd like to see across the United States. Um, and then also working with um, our domestic violence organizations. We have seen a spike in increased uh, domestic violence, of course, during uh, the pandemic as well with people living and, and residing in close quarters. Um, so I'm working with Senator Amy Klobuchar to make sure that we're including additional funds in our next bill. Those are just a few priorities and the number of the wins that we have seen for Iowa. Again, just ways to get us up and moving again. And uh, Governor, I'll turn it back over to you, but thank you so much for allowing me the time today to, to get the great word out to Iowans um, how we're supporting from the federal government. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Joni. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you and really the entire congressional delegation uh, for all of your hard work on behalf um, of uh, Iowans and just really advocating for them during this unprecedented time. And we look forward to continuing to work with you uh, as we continue to recover and move through this unprecedented pandemic that we find ourselves in. So thanks for the hard work and really advocating in Washington, D.C. on behalf of Iowans. I appreciate it very, very much. You know, I'm also grateful to the Trump administration for providing the financial support to help the cost of COVID-19 and fuel our economic recovery. The CARES Act established
established the $150 billion Coronavirus Relief Fund to help states, local, and tribal governments to navigate the impact of the pandemic. You know, Iowa received $1.25 billion in funding that can be used to cover expenses that were necessarily incurred due to COVID-19 that were not accounted for in our budget as of March 27th when the CARES Act was signed into law and were incurred during the period beginning March 1st and ending on December 30th of 2020. Here in Iowa, because of fiscally responsible budgeting practices, we are fortunate to be in a very strong financial position prior to um, COVID-19 uh, impacting our state. When we closed the books in fiscal year 19, we had a budget surplus of nearly um, $300 million. Our cash reserves were full and our labor participation rate was one of the highest in the country. Iowa's allocation from the Coronavirus Relief Fund will help cover the significant and unexpected expenses due to the pandemic, positioning, positioning us um, to well for recovery and growth in the months to come. So today I want to share the plan for leveraging the $1.25 billion in federal funding to assist Iowans and our state. At this time, uh, we'll be allocating $700 million and holding the balance of the $550 million while we continue to monitor the status of Iowa's unemployment trust fund and any additional unforeseen COVID-19 expenses. Of the $700 million, I've allocated $215 million to provide relief for Iowa businesses and families. And this includes the Small Business Relief Program, which has helped more than 4,000 small business owners reopen their doors and get Iowa back to work. Support for Iowans economically impacted by COVID-19, providing short-term relief to Iowa renters and homeowners in immediate risk of eviction or foreclosure. And uh, Director Derman is going to give us some more details on that shortly. Support for workforce initiatives that create opportunities for hardworking Iowans. And also funding to help us resolve food insecurity issues by supporting Iowa's food banks, as you heard about yesterday from Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg. We've allocated $100 million to provide relief for Iowa farmers. Agriculture is the foundation of our economy, and our farmers produce the livestock, livestock and grain that is necessary to feed and fuel the nation. But as you heard yesterday, COVID-19 has significantly impacted our farmers and our processing capacity, backing up livestock on farms. Our Iowa ethanol industry is currently operating at 70% of capacity, 1.35% billion gallons uh, capacity is offline. And when Iowa's agriculture industry is impacted, our state's economy is impacted. We've also, I've also allocated $125 million that will go towards relief for Iowa communities. Over the last several weeks, my team and I have worked with local officials across the state, and we will continue to work with the Iowa State Association of Counties and the League of Cities to understand their expenses that are tied to COVID-19 and to put funding to work in their communities that supports their recovery efforts. To begin that process, I've also committed to cover their 10% of FEMA match and will be launching 
a new online payment portal that will provide transparency for Iowans and efficiencies for local cities and counties applying for reimbursement of COVID-19 related expenses. I've also allocated $50 million for the relief of Iowa health care providers. Today, Iowa hosp Iowa's hospitals, clinics, and nursing facilities facilities have rightly already received over $700 million through CARES funding. So this money will be allocated for substance use and behavioral health providers who have also played a critical role in serving Iowans throughout, COVID throughout our COVID-19 response and will continue to provide those much needed services in the days to come. $85 million will be um, allocated to expanding access to telework, telehealth, and telelearning. To do that, our state must address, address broadband capacity and access, as well as modernize our IT systems that are necessary to conducting business, education, health care, and life from rural communities to the state capitol. $125 million is allocated for our state response to COVID-19 to cover expenses from PPE purchases to overtime for frontline direct care employers, employees excuse me, and others. And finally, again, $550 million will be held for the Unemployment Trust Fund and additional unforeseen COVID-19 expenses. Earlier this week, um, I did announce that the Iowa Finance Authority would be launching the COVID-19 Iowa Eviction and foreclosure prevention program to assist Iowans who have experienced a documented loss of income during, um, due to COVID-19 and are unable to pay their rent or mortgage. Housing assistance is one way will provide relief for Iowa families through, coronavirus, through the Coronavirus Relief Fund. And I'm pleased to say that the program is now accepting applications and here to provide additional uh, information about eligibility and how to apply is Director Debbie Durham. Debbie? Thank you, Governor, and uh, good morning to all. It has been said famously by Maya Angelou that the ache for home lives in all of us. Homes all across Iowa is where we find refuge, where we make memories, where we celebrate milestones, and where we find comfort during hard times. And many, the past couple of months, have spent significantly more time at home. Unfortunately, these weeks have also brought a sense of worry to many Iowans about how they're going to keep their homes due to a job loss or reduction in income due to the COVID-19 public health emergency. So I'm proud to say uh, that we accepted the governor's challenge, uh, that our team has been working diligently to stand up a program that will provide our fellow Iowans with some relief in their time of need. Today, after the, at, immediately after the conference, we are launching the COVID-19 Iowa Eviction and Foreclosure Prevention Program. So I'm going to provide you with some program details at this time. Rental assistance for up to four months, beginning with April 1, rent for a maximum of up to $3,200. Mortgage payment assistance beginning April 1st. Mortgage payments for a maximum of up to $3,000. To be eligible for the program, Iowans must be a current renter or homeowner that has not been able to pay their rent or mortgage due to the COVID-19 related loss of income on or after March 17, 2020, because we have to show this line of sight to COVID. Have a household income that does not exceed 80% of the median family income limits for the county at
at the time of application. So we have an application system that these limits will be available and automatically generated per applicant. So that, you know, because they change per county. Must not be receiving, and this is very important, they must not be receiving the additional $600 a week in additional unemployment funds as a federal stimulus benefit. If you're unable to make your rent or mortgage payment, I encourage you to visit, and all of this information will be on iowahousingrecovery.com. Review the eligibility requirements, and we have a very detailed FAQ there that will help all of you understand the program and the details of. Complete the pre-application survey to ensure to meet the preliminary requirements to be assisted through the program. Once you do that, if you meet the initial requirements, then we encourage them to complete the full application carefully. Assistance will be granted on a first-come ready-to-proceed, which means it is critical that all requested information is provided in full at time of application. Also, please note that applications for eviction prevention assistance will require an electronic or electric electronic landlord verification. And because of this, renters who apply are encouraged to notify their landlords of their application because we will need to be, they will have to qualify. Applicants will receive an email with instructions on how to track the status of their application through every step of the review process. We learned a lot from the small business relief program, I can tell you. Uh, now it's all automatic. So I can, we are learning from our, our errors. If approved, payments will be issued directly to the landlord or to the mortgage service providers. It will not go to the individual. Uh, the application period will be open, and as I said, until all funds are exhausted. The program will also be supported by Bilingual Spanish Call Center and IF IFAS Housing Recovery Team, who will be standing ready to assist anyone with these applications. Not everyone, though, we know in need of assistance is going to be eligible for financial assistance through this program because they don't meet the timeline. And so because of this, we have formed a partnership with Iowa Legal Aid who will be able to provide free legal assistance for renters and homeowners who are at risk of eviction or foreclosure at this time. So, Governor, I am pleased to announce that we accepted the challenge and that as soon as this is over, uh, we will go live with the application. And again, any detailed information, because I know I went through a lot, uh, I encourage you to go to iowahousingrecovery.com and it will all be there for you and any additional questions, we'll be happy to answer. Thank you. Well, I love to challenge Director Durham because I know each time that I do that her and her team step up, meet that challenge, and exceed it. So I appreciate so much uh, the work that you and your team have done to quickly develop solutions for the challenges that Iowans are facing during this time. From the Small Business Relief Program to aiding rent and mortgage payments, these programs are helping Iowans get back on their feet. And really, very, very grateful. Thanks for all you do and for your leadership. So Iowans are gradually getting back to life and business as usual, and it's time for uh, me and my team to do the same thing. For the last uh, 80 plus days, my team and I have been working from the State Emergency Operations Center. On Monday, we will be returning to the Capitol, preparing for the legislative uh, session to resume while continuing our ongoing um, efforts to manage the COVID-19 pandemic. While today, 
Today is our last day working from the State Emergency Operations Center. SEAC will remain open throughout the COVID-19 response. And members will continue to meet daily as we have for the last 12 weeks, but of course most meetings will be held virtually. I'll continue to hold regular press conferences to keep Iowans informed, but I am adjusting the schedule to provide two live broadcasts a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 11 a.m. starting next week. I want to thank Iowa PBS again for being a tremendous partner throughout this time. You've made it possible for me to speak directly to Iowans every day regarding COVID-19, and it's been made it possible for media outlets across the state to broadcast important information about our COVID-19 responses. Iowa PBS will continue to provide coverage of my press conferences through the legislative session, and after the session closes, we'll pl probably plan to go live stream, um, plan to live stream them online, and we'll provide more information about that in the coming weeks. So, like you, um, I'm eager to get things back to normal, but I'm committed to taking a measured approach, practicing personal responsibility, and doing my part to protect not only myself, my family, but our fellow Iowans. So, just as I've asked you to do uh, every day, and you have done, uh, we will continue to get through this together. So, with that, we will I'll open it up for questions. Governor, in regards to the $1.25 million, and, partic yep. and in particular the $85 million for telehealth, telework, and telelearning, yep. Yep. do you get to distribute that, or do you work in concert with the legislature? And if so, yep. how quickly do you want that money to go out the door, given the fact that schools may have to use broadband service this right. fall. So it is important, Kay, that we get that out quickly. And there was a, some funding that was attributed directly to K-12 education. I think it was about uh, $26 million that really addresses kind of the immediate needs to make sure if we have to do distance learning again, even for a short amount of time, that we have the resources to connect to all Iowans. So that is a separate allocation that will be used for that. So out of the money that I talked about through the um, $1.25 billion, uh, we'll utilize a similar program that we have for the broadband grant program that's already in place. There might be some adjustments, adjustments to that, for instance, the match, so that we can really incentivize our private sector partners to be a part of this and to really scale up as quickly as possible. So uh, uh, Director Dunn, Annette from OCIO, has put a range of um, options together. And probably sometime next week, I'll bring her in and have her walk through uh, some of the options that we're looking at and what that time frame looks like. We have to have the money out the door by December 30th. So at least we have a program in place that we can maybe amend and change just a little bit, adapt a little bit to what the needs are, and then start working with our um, private sector partners across the state, as well as there's significant uh, USDA funding that's still available that we can continue to have that be a part of really expanding significantly our broadband capacity and footprint. And then I believe even the um, FCC has additional funding as well. So, uh, you know, every state is dealing with this. Things are going to be different from here forward, and we need to have the capacity to be able to uh, really uh, economically, healthcare, education, and just living in general. So, I'm excited about the opportunities. Um, I have a question for Director Durham. Um, for the, the new program that you're talking about, you said for 
people who don't qualify, they'll be able to get assistance through Iowa Legal Aid. Mm -hmm. um, can you expand on that a little bit? Can you talk about what they can do to, to help Iowans who are afraid of being evicted from their apartments? Or right. Well, they'll individually counsel each individual case because every case is different. And what they will do is then identify service providers that can help them, whether that's financial or, I, you know, I'm not really sure. But uh, we wanted to make sure because we know that there are people that were falling into that category prior to COVID-19. And these phone funds can only be used with, during that time period we talked about, right? And so that's why we're working in partnership with them so that they can do the counseling. And they have a network of others. I don't know if, Ashley, if you want to expand upon that. But they have a network of service providers that they already work with. And so we'll be working in partnership to make sure that anyone that comes to us that we can't help, that at least we give them to someone who can help them along the way. Governor, uh, been seeing issues of people getting appointments at the downtown Des Moines test site. I know when I tried, I think it was yesterday or the day before, wasn't able to get an appointment. Is there any plans to open perhaps a second site in the Des Moines metro area because of just the large population? Yeah, so we have to see what the capacity is. So I wouldn't be discouraged if you can't get in immediately. We actually have been at capacity for the last three days. It is exciting to see what we're able to offer Iowans all across the state. And as we've indicated over the last couple days, based on what we see with virus activity and what we see on population density, that goes into our um, into the strategy about where we move the test sites too and how we can start to maybe expand or move to address the needs of Iowans. Just remember you have a lot of this is one tool in the toolbox. You can still you know contact the the clinics. Uh, we're going to have uh, we're, the Burlington site that we talked about the other day. We're standing those up across the states. We're working with uh, the FQHCs um, to see if there's some opportunity. Paige did I get that right? Yeah. Um, to see if there's some opportunities there. I mean every day testing capacity and the way that we do it continues to change. So yesterday we hit another record. We had 2,503 tests completed just with Test Iowa throughout the state of Iowa. We have over 3,000 tests that are already scheduled for today at the various uh, sites across the state of Iowa. So we're going to continue to enhance the processes, continue to look at what the data is telling us. And if we continue to see um, you know, a need, we will adjust uh, what we're doing to meet that to meet the need of Iowans but I am very grateful to the capacity that we have and our ability to meet the needs um, and Iowans are interested because they are stepping up and they are going online they're filling out the assessment and they're going in to be tested and that really is so beneficial to Department of Public Health and our epidemiologist team to really manage and contain virus activity in the state of Iowa. And that's how we're going to continue to be able to continue to open up. James Lynch, Cedar Rapids Gazette. Uh, thank you, Governor. I, I wanted to ask about the eviction and foreclosure relief. What is the expectation of how many Iowans are, are going to need that assistance and how far that will reach? How many people can you help? 
do you, do you want to do you have a ballpark really um, you know James we we really don't know because of the qualification issues we don't know how many people are still getting that extra six hundred dollars a week uh, but we had estimated uh, we are prepared to take twenty thousand applications uh, how does that so um, that's kind of what we prepared for that's what we set our systems for and that's uh, what we're telling our providers that we're partnering with in the field but that's about all I can tell you right now I'm happy to give you a report in a week after we have it open yeah and, and you know we can bring Debbie back or she can send it through at one of our press conferences and we can update, update Iowans on that. And now the other thing I want to talk about, you know, we talked about the different buckets that we're allocating the CARES funding to. So, you know, that will, that, that potentially could adjust as some things maybe the, the, what we had projected may be a little higher. And some of the other programs that we projected we might see, the, uh, you know, might not be as great as of need as we have anticipated. And that's part of the reason we held some of the money back. And so we can see kind of what transforms as as we continue to uh, move through addressing the needs of um, families and businesses and healthcare providers uh, and really our ability to um, act to, to work and live uh, remotely. So, All right, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, we will take a time out. Dave Sproul, uh, KASI Radio in Ames, will join us. We'll talk about Iowa State when Trent and I continue. Miller and Condon till noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Time to talk Iowa State. New voice going to join us on a weekly basis if his schedule allows. He's Dave Sprow, our sister station in Ames, KASI. As I said to Trent early in the week, that once we lost Dylan Montz, then Alex Halstead followed suit. I said, Trent, we're out. Of, we don't have an Iowa State guy. Let's put. We got to put our thinking caps on. Yes, and this is one that you came up with. The well, name. I see him around every yeah. every press conference. Uh-huh. There's a guy on the side. That's it's Dave Sproul. You know, he's, I think he's elbowed Randy Peterson out of his normal spot. <laughs> have you relegated Petey to the back of the room, Sproul? You got some pretty good uh, uh, FaceTime access. Good to talk to you. How are you? You bet. I just I just know how to position myself well. <laughs> Nobody can move Randy out of his spot. It's going to take. A monumental effort on someone's part. Yeah, I'm certainly not looking forward to that day. He's a good man, Randy Peterson. Takes a lot of flack from the Cyclone fan base, but uh, it's part of it, right? Uh, but so let's get into it, Dave. Uh, KASI, first of all, and, and thank you for uh, uh, for uh, sharing some of your time with Trent and I uh, going forward to help us uh, chronicle Iowa State as you're at all of these press conferences, etc. Uh, tell us about KASI, our sister station. It's 1430. You're a Cyclone affiliate. Uh, you do a lot of high school stuff as well, uh, but just um, you know some four one one on KASI. You betcha. You know, uh, like all the stations, the family, of course, we're available on the iHeartRadio app anywhere in the world. And of course, yeah, we cover Iowa State in and out because uh, we're here. So we don't we don't just talk about the big sports like football and basketball. We get into wrestling and even volleyball, gymnastics, other sports like that from time to time. Uh, we try to touch on as much as we can, but. Obviously, football and basketball are, are the big-name sports, so a lot of time gets devoted to that. And uh, I, I make every game I can. As you mentioned, we do high school sports here. Sometimes they're 
there are conflicts. I have to miss a game or something from from time to time. But if there's a press conference availability, a game, chances are I'm going to be there. Dave, tell us a little bit about your background, getting to know you a little bit. I, I've seen you from time to time, and as Ken mentioned, see you quite often in those videos of the different press conferences and on the side and the like. But your background and uh, what led you up to Ames? Uh, well, I've bounced around the radio industry for about 25 years now, and uh, at one point in, in uh, 2000, I uh, got fired from a couple jobs in the same year, and I thought, you know, maybe a, a college education would do me some good, because I didn't really have that going in. So, uh, you know, at a mere 27 years old, mm. I enrolled at Iowa State, and then I've been here in Ames ever since. I was able, able to graduate in August of 2005, and then a few months later, I, I split in here at uh, KASI, and uh, I've been there ever since and uh, really have just enjoyed the heck out of it because what but what could be better than, you know, getting paid to attend major college football and basketball games? You know, uh, just real quick on, on yeah, you're right, it's a great, uh, great point. Um, <laughs> just real quick on, on uh, Ames High School sports, I, I thought Harrison Barnes made a a gaffe when, when he invited all the Cyclone fans to his announcement that he's going to North Carolina, right? But boy, has he ever made, I don't, I'm not saying make up for it, but has he ever remembered his hometown, where he grew up, uh, and him and his wife just uh, making a significant, significant donation, uh, to, uh, to, to aim schools, uh, within the last couple of weeks, uh, feather in Harrison Barnes and his wife's caps. Yeah. And Harrison has stayed very connected to his hometown. He's, come back year after year to host uh, a, a basketball skills academy or a camp if you will and uh, stay connected he uh, a couple years ago made a, a significant donation to an all-inclusive playground that's under construction now uh in ames and i mean now he's contributing a pretty significant figure to uh, enhance the new gymnasium mm-hmm. uh folks who don't know ames is getting a completely new high school in the next few years and part of that is of course a, a brand new gym and He's uh, in, enhancing that with his donation, and he's stayed very connected to the local community. He's done a tremendous job, too, wherever he's been in the NBA, uh, of being uh, kind of a public servant in those areas, whether it was the Bay Area, the Dallas area, or now in, in Sacramento. Uh, so he's a guy who's you know, given a lot of his time off the court to uh, his hometown and, and the places he's uh, spent his professional career. Speaking of that high school side of things, I saw the new CIML summer schedule came out the other day with it. Ames, uh, the first three games, scheduled games, the first week of the season, that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, both the baseball and softball side won't be playing. Do you know the reason behind that for the Little Cyclones, why they won't be playing early on? Is it simply a numbers game? Uh, I think there's more to it than that. that that's part of it, and, and the coaches just want, uh, I believe, just as much time as possible to get ready. So they'll, they'll go ahead and start practicing on June 1st like everybody else, but Ames won't begin actual games until June 20th during the baseball and softball uh, season at, at the soonest. And uh, they just want to make sure that they give all the athletes uh, time to get up to speed, get into shape, be ready, and not put too much stress on, particularly, you know, the pitchers uh, go out there and, and strain their arms. And, you know, you, you need as much pitching depth as possible, and they want to give the coaches time to develop that as well. So it's just a matter of giving everybody enough time that they believe is needed uh, to be up and ready physically for the season. Uh, Dave Sproul from KSI is our guest. Dave, uh, you know, Jamie Potter, as we move over to the uh, the college side of things, I, I think he's handled this whole COVID thing incredibly well, whether it was being first to announce pay cuts for uh, for some of the staff, uh, then uh, most recently coming out in, with, with the plan of, you know, 30,000 people is what he's projecting are going to be in Jack Trice, how they're going to go about that. Uh, Pollard has really led the way in so many areas, and the national media is picked 
picked up on that. Uh, credit where credit's due. Pollers, I think, handled this exceptionally well. And 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 settled it with a lot of transparency too, because once he's made those decisions, he he goes uh, he gets the word out to the fan, kind of communicates directly to them uh, via the internet and, and social media and things like that to make sure that those season ticket holders or, or single game tickets or people who want single game tickets or whoever has an investment or an interest in Iowa State is aware of of, of what's going on and the reasons uh, behind that, and that's important I think in, in terms of communication to have that trust between your athletic department and, and your fan base. And you've seen in other places around the country where that doesn't exist, you have all kinds of troubles. But I, uh, Jamie Pollard has his whole department growing in the same direction, if you will, and Iowa State fans are, are getting on board with that. And since they understand what is going on, it's a lot easier to get people on board and, and support those efforts. And so he recognizes the value in, in that open communication and making uh, plans and, and, you know, sticking with them. And he is also, you know, he's willing to make adjustments, obviously, some of these plans to, to you know, to do a 30,000 capacity stadium instead of 60,000. Uh, that that could change in the coming months. But the fact that, you know, you get out there as soon as possible and let everybody know, listen, if you want to be, if you want to be able to get in the stadium, if you want to make sure that uh, you watch Iowa State football in person this year, you better get season tickets. Dave, when you look at Jamie Pollard and what he has done with that athletic department, he's been the Pied Piper of building facilities and what they've been able to do for years and years and years growing up in this state. Now, Iowa State fan in the 80s, certainly on the football side of things, it was a difficult proposition to be a Cyclone fan. I heard the other day, just after the, the Zoom tele-virtual tailgate tour that they had, the amount of money that they raised for the athletic department, he has endeared himself incredibly well to that community. What has it been for Jamie Pollard and the Iowa State fan base, the alumni base, that has connected so well over these nearly two decades? Yeah, I think it goes back to that communication piece and, and the fact that he has made himself available to fans and he's willing to engage. Sometimes it's not always the best because he can, he gets caught up in the heat of the moment sometimes, and you know sometimes that, that affects the way he, he gets the message out there. If he, he gets frustrated just like anybody else sometimes, so that'll happen. But for the most part, you know, He'll get out there. He'll answer questions from fans. He'll communicate by email. He'll try to get the word out as best he can about what is happening with the athletic department and how fans can be involved and, and what fans need to do. He's, he's also kind of put the onus on fans to say, if you want a top quality, you know, football program, athletics program, we're going to need uh, we're going to need money. And he hasn't just focused on the the big big money guys because there really aren't that many, you know, for Iowa State compared to other big time programs, but he's made the message clear. Everybody is appreciated. Everybody uh, has room to get on board here, uh, but we need to know what direction we're moving to make sure we're all getting there together. Dave Sproul is our guest. Dave, do you know uh, when student athletes are going to be allowed to come back on to, to campus and do some voluntary work? I, I believe I saw Brock Purdy uh, was quoted in, in, in somebody's piece that he, he anticipates being back very quickly. In fact, he may be back in the area now and, and waiting for that green light. Do you know when that's going to be that they'll be able to do some voluntary work with some of their teammates? Uh, it looks like, I mean, June 15th would be the earliest day. I haven't seen anything official from Iowa State yet, but the Big 12 Conference has announced that uh, schools can start allowing voluntary uh, conditioning workouts to start on June 15th. Of course, Iowa State has already initiated something of a, a pilot program 
in which athletes who are rehabbing from, from injury can already be on campus, and that, that's been ongoing for a little while now. And I won't be surprised if Brock Purdy is among them. You remember he right. finished up last season with a bad ankle. Uh, so anybody who you know is in that kind of situation where they need that extra work to get back into shape or recover from an injury, uh, they have that opportunity to work with the athletic training staff at Iowa State uh, right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, in fact, that first date that the Big 12 Conference laid out there June 15th becomes the day that uh, athletes really do start getting back on campus here at Iowa State and, and throughout the Big 12, if not the country. Uh, good stuff. Dave Sprout, thank you for doing this. Look forward to doing this with you on a uh, weekly basis as we move toward college football. And everybody's fingers are crossed that that September 5th date is going to be hit. And the six-week training camp that was floated out there yesterday uh, comes to pass. Thank you, Dave Sprout. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for the time. Good to talk to you. Look forward to talking to you next week. Dave Sproul from KASI 1430 on the AM dial. That was a good one there. Like Absolutely. that. Heard uh, Dave's call a couple of times. I think we yeah, shared it does equipment. high school stuff, right? Yeah, we shared equipment at the state basketball tournament a couple of years ago, I believe it was, and uh, with the iHeart conglomerate. But uh, as the little Cyclones made a run to the state tournament, so... Good to talk with Dave and uh, talk some Cyclones and Absolutely. good to add another one to the Rolodex. Absolutely. We'll take a time out, come back and finish out the program. It's Miller and Condon. We're with you until just before noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Miller and Condon, final couple of minutes here. Short week when you only work. How many days are you? Tuesday, three days a week. Three days a week, yeah. So I slide into retirement. Not so fast. Uh, what do you got? Four, five, five. It's funny. Um, Cindy and I were looking at that. See, my quandary is in December I can take my social security. Oh, okay, you, yeah. At sixty-two, sixty-two. But if I wait until I'm sixty-six and six months, I can get all of it a month. Aha. Uh-huh. Which is a pretty big deal, right? It's, it's significantly. Yeah. If, you, if you take it early, it's you pay for yeah. it. Right? So do you gamble that you're going to make 66? <laughs> you're going to be or fine. You, I think I am too, and that yeah, was my yeah. argument. My wife wants me to take it at 62. Oh, uh, okay. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So 66 and a half, keep putting in and then... And six, yeah. And you can retire maybe a little more lavishly. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but certainly, yeah, in a little bit, yeah. but... Um, so anyways, it's, it's this age thing. My, my parents are getting the same direction. I continue yeah. to talk to them. So they live in New Hampton, which is just under three hours from here, up uh-huh. northeast Iowa. Now, my stepdad, all his sisters live in the same area. Um, his brother lives just down the Cedar Rapids, so you know, an hour and a half away, something like that. But I said, every one of your kids, of me, my sister, my stepbrother, my stepsister, all live in the Des Moines Metro. Right. Wouldn't it make sense, you think, to sell that big house that we go to, you know, three, four times a year? Downsize and move closer to the kids. Get a townhouse. But my stepdad, he loves to mow. Uh-huh. They have all this creek back behind them. They have this huge yard. They have all this stuff. My mom loves flowers and planting and all that. Yeah, so you'd love to have a babysitter close by. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, maybe not. Up the street, you know, you right. need, yeah, need a buffer a zone. Space. Yeah, we need 15, 20 minutes between, mm-hmm. so I don't got mom stopping by all the time. We don't need to go that direction, but that full time babysitter, oh, just awesome. a hop. Sk- I look at my friends that have that, that have Fortunate. their parents in town. Oh, Fortunate. I'm so jealous. No, I know it. Uh, no doubt. So, well, if you're, um, 
So I don't know what to do anyways. I yeah. think I'm going to 66 it. That's the that's the plan. I know I'm going to watch the final episode of Lance Armstrong on Sunday night. Um, as I, I will too. Yeah, as, as I said earlier in the week, I have the right to change my opinion, but I didn't, I was not um, off-put by episode one. A lot of people were, boy, it did not do it. Those it, numbers. Atrociously bad. So we were talking upwards of six million people on the MJ doc. Right. This was 700,000. So, right. It was like our first rating book when we came over here. Like, Jesus. <laughs> right, right. Luckily, we built on yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, and maybe Lance Armstrong will this Sunday night. But I'm looking forward to. It. I, I like to say I didn't really know much about him growing up, but I think we're going to have a different feeling when we reconvene on Monday because yeah. he's about to step on some people. Hey, have a good weekend. Yeah, you too, my friend. Good to see you. And again, thanks to you and Ross Peterson for yesterday. All right, Murph and Andy in here at two. The fanatics at four tomorrow morning at eight a.m. It's the Saturday morning pregame show with Songer and Roberts. Morning Rush, Monday morning at 6. Thanks for being here. 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.